Hello and welcome to the Rubber. Yep. Good start. <laughs> welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I think I'm Creston. I'm Joe. And tonight uh, we are going to have kind of a follow up to a show we did a little while back with Drew Bragg. Um, with Drew, we were talking about, you know, when things go off the rails in your Rails application and how you get them back on. And uh, Joel reached out and had some ideas about when you might want to not get them back on. Um, so we're going to have that chat. But before we do, we can review. Creston, how was your week? Pretty good. Still doing a ton of consulting. Got a little bit of product work done. But something's keeps coming up for me and i've talked about it in different episodes and i'll talk about it here because i think it's appropriate for actually what we're talking about tonight is that a lot of times i'm increasingly frustrated by rails lack of direction with where to put your business logic like mm -hmm. they're all about convention over configuration yet a fundamental part <laughs> of where you put your business logic there's no place to put it yes they have models they have views they have controllers and but there's, you know, way, way back, there's the lib directory, but it's not auto-loaded, and there's no expectation that, that that's where you should put it. So, I mean, this is mostly just a rant for me, but it <laughs> keeps coming back to me again and again, this, this bit of frustration, because, like, different clients I work with, kind of like, where should we be putting, you know, everybody has a question, everybody kind of is kind of doing it differently which is by definition configuration, and there's no convention. Yeah. Just well, a little frustration. I'll throw that out there. I mean, you just put all your business logic in your models, right? <laughs> that's, oh, no? the, that's kind of <laughs> the path of least resistance until it causes great pain. Chat, don't put all your business logic in your models. Please don't do that. <laughs> that's gross. Um, anyway. Well, anyway, that was a little bit of a rant, but what about you? <laughs> uh, so I've had mostly a week of kind of death by a thousand paper cuts, just little nitnoids keep popping up. But I did have to, um, I did work on a new GitHub flow and uh, repo structure for the company this week uh, because the the team, the engineering teams are growing in size and we've kind of outgrown our current workflow. It's not robust enough to handle more um, more fingers in the pie, as it were. So I've been working on um, working on a proposal for a new flow in there, um, better better branch structures. We can keep better control of things. Now, when you say flow, that just means for your company the best practices of using GitHub, or <laughs> Well, how Is that a specific thing GitHub flows? Not yeah, not GitHub flows, but yeah. flows for our GitHub usage, internal flows. Because yeah, yeah. those, okay. you know, those workflows, there are a bunch of different workflows kind of published out there. But like project management methodologies, it's good to know about them, but usually they don't exactly fit your particular situation. You have to customize them a bit. So um, I kind of took the best of the ones that I saw that were close to us and then put them together and started customizing for our, our workflows. So it's been an interesting week, but we'll see how that goes. Is this the, um, the GitHub projects thing? 
Well, it's the GitHub projects is one of the kind of workflows that's that's published out there. It has its workflow recommendations. Um, So I took some of that, some of the GitHub flows, because like the, the older GitHub flows is good for one or two developers working in a repo. Right. You can control that pretty easily. But you got to have a lot of different things going on when you've got 10 or 15 developers working in the same repo. Right. Need a lot better controls there or things very quickly get out of control. Um, but then you have to you have to take into account, well, how does my team work? How is our architecture? How many repos am I dealing with? Because we're SOA. So, you know, we we don't just have one repo. We've got many that interconnect and so you have to think about all that kind of stuff and the flows get a little complicated and then the trick is keeping them simple so people will use them so so how was your week joel yeah it was great um i spent a lot of the week working on um uh flex which is um an object oriented view framework for ruby um and this week, I have mostly been working on the compiler. Um, so basically, I'm working on some code that will look at um, a Ruby view that you've written and try to figure out if it can write it in a way that's faster. And then if it can, it will um, like evaluate the redefinition of the, the view that you've written in Ruby um, in the faster Ruby that it's written and then let you use that. And basically it's it's meant to be completely transparent. Um, so that's what I've been working on mainly this week. Nice. Yeah, I'm really interested in the flex. I'm getting ready to start a um, a little code live coding sessions. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the things I was looking at, I, I do mostly backend work now, platform work, because I don't like yeah. front end stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because it's been a yeah. pain in the ass when I when I've done it. So I was looking at Flex going, when I do this, I want to use Flex because it looks like it's gonna be a lot easier to deal with for my brain type anyway. Yeah, right. So I re- I really hope so. I, I think that there's a lot of things in um in Ruby and in object-oriented programming that are really applicable to views. And um Flex just really unlocks the potential of using Ruby, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way that it works, a lot of the things that you can do in Ruby, like including modules, um, inheritance, um, overriding a method and calling super, that kind of thing. All of these tricks that we've learned, all of these patterns that we've learned for writing object-oriented Ruby, they're all like applicable to view code and they make your view code much easier to work with, I think. Um, so yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of one of the goals. But um, side effect of that is, you know, there's a lot of objects to process when when you have something like Flex as opposed to like just working with strings. So that's that's what I've been working on this week is basically trying to make it so that you can still have that developer experience of writing beautiful Ruby code, but also have performance. Um, so the experiments um, I've been working on, like today, uh, the benchmark was at like 10 times, I think 9.12 times the uh, the dynamic version. So 
It's looking promising. That's really good. Yeah, well, I'm excited to use it. So so where is this? Because, like, if I, what what would I Google to find? P-H-L-E-X. You can go to flex.fun to find information about it. So, but flex spelt with a P-H. Because (laughs) everything is taken on rubygems.org. And you have to just make up words now. <laughs> All right. So just to gotcha. uh, okay. just to show the people at home, um, this flex dot fun. Yeah. This is where you want to go. That's it. Yeah, because I tried flex and I, it, it talked about an Elasticsearch client. It talked right. about <laughs> all this other stuff. I'm like, I, I should probably do some like seo around flex spelt that like with an f <laughs> in order to like try to help people who are looking for flex ruby right um yeah that's i should write that down that's a good point oh chat yay bunch of not heads hold on a second All right. Uh, every once in a while, I, I wonder if they, if those things ever actually work. That chat spam crap. I, I've never known anybody that would go look at that garbage, but whatever. Hey, Aaron, yeah. how you doing? Welcome to the channel. Um, Aaron Francis was on last week talking about all the streaming toys that I get to play with every week. Yes. It's so fun. Hey, Drew. All right, Drew's here. All right. You and Joel, go. Argue. Hit it. Fist fight. Let's go. No. Um, Colin, welcome to the chat. How you doing, man? All right. So we're going to have a talk about um, what, what, at what point is it good or what situations is it good to actually go off the rails? So you said you had some, some thoughts following up on Drew's conversation we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when I was listening to the episode with Drew, which by the way, was, was brilliant. Um, and I pretty much completely agree with everything that you guys were, were saying, but um, I did want to make a bit of a counterpoint, which is, that sometimes it is the right decision to go off the rails and do something that is outside of the rails framework. Um, and I say framework specifically because there are kind of like two layers of abstraction to rails. There's the doctrine and the framework. Um, and the framework is essentially like the current manifestation of that doctrine mm-hmm. is the way I, I see it. Um, and I think that sometimes you do run into situations where you can, like, I guess may- maybe I should rewind a bit. Um, I think that, like, every feature that we have in Rails was created because someone ran into a problem and solved it and ultimately ended up upstreaming it to Rails. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the features that we get in Rails come from like people solving problems in an abstract way, going off the Rails framework, and then they're able to contribute those back to Rails. Um, So I think, yeah, that's that's another side to the conversation, which is 
that sometimes sometimes Rails isn't like their solution isn't necessarily right for your problem. <laughs> Aaron likes to go all the way to Laravel. Nice, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's um, I was trying to think of a few examples of this. I think, uh, like, for example, like um, on one project that I worked on, we ran into a lot of problems around Rails enums. Um, Rails Active Record approach to enums is kind of strange. It it kind of overloads your model with all of these um, methods that are for a particular enum attribute, and then, but they're not on an object; they're on the model directly. So if you have like a status attribute, and you've got the status published or draft, then it's like model.published, model.draft, as opposed to model.status.published, model.status.draft. And when you have models that have like lots of enums, um, it can be really weird and tedious. There's like, you, you have to use prefixes or suffixes and you just end up with this messy model. And you also don't have an object on which to like put logic around those things. Like for example, valid transitions between statuses. Um, so in that situation, I started experimenting with like building a different way to do enums. And I, I built like a more object-oriented enum platform or like framework that worked better for that problem. And I think, um, I don't know, I don't really have the best advice on this, but I just think that sometimes we can say like, let's follow the doctrine, like let's still optimize for programmer happiness, convention over configuration, um, exalting beautiful code, providing sharp knives, like do all the Rails doctrine stuff, but but not necessarily the exact concrete manifestation of the framework. Right, and, and I think that's a good distinction. I'm glad you brought that up because that is, a lot of people think Ruby on Rails and it's just a glob, but there's really right. bits of it. and. A lot of times, if you get a program that's any bigger than Hello World, a lot mm -hmm. of times you will start diverting from what everybody else does with Rails mm -hmm. in, in some, at least some small little way. Like we were talking, like when Creston was talking, well, where do you put your business logic? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. that that there isn't really a Rails way to do business logic that's readily agreed upon. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, I think the frame, and, and that's where the framework kind of falls apart. You can still do the, the mentality of Rails, mm -hmm. like you were talking about, and put your, put your business logic in your own place, but it may not fit the framework the way right. that, like, DHH does it in his, you know, in Rails or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's... Um... You, you have to be careful, like sometimes it's not the right thing to do and you can you can get sidetracked kind of just always building your own thing. But I think sometimes there really is a need for a different approach to something or like maybe it's something that you need that hasn't been done before or maybe it's been done before but you think you can do it better. Um, 
And that's ultimately how the framework gets better over time is people do this. And then like eventually some of this stuff gets upstreamed and it ends up in the framework and that becomes the convention that you're meant to follow. Uh, yeah, I think you're true. Oh, Drew, just auto load live. Yeah, <laughs> that's best thing to do. <laughs> that's that's there you the go. solution. Uh, who's driving the conventions these days? Shopify, GitHub. Um, I mean, really, yeah. it's it's community is driving it. I'm Shopify is big, so they probably have a a pretty large say in conventions or pretty large influence of conventions, but. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's the companies that are driving it or just a lot of people that work for Shopify are driving it. Yeah. But their their driving of the framework is separate from that. I guess there must be some overlap. Um the sense I've always gotten from the the Ruby on Rails community is that the it, it's very democratized to a point. More the more the individual contributors yeah. probably driving it than Right. Right. Um Presumably, corporate interests. <laughs> yeah, because it's. It, I think the Rails community has been kind of careful about keeping itself out of the corporate sphere. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a pretty democratized community. I think feels like to me anyway. Um, so and, you know, and things come along like like flex. You know, it's. It's a different idea. It's a different yeah. view on how to do things, and it can be adopted, widely adopted, while people who like to do things without flex can still go, and nobody's breaking the Ruby on Rails convention set. Yeah, I mean, it definitely breaks the framework conventions. Flex, flex is a complete replacement for action view, essentially. Um, Though you can, it's it's interoperable with ActionView, so you don't need to do that replacement all at once. But you can essentially not use ActionView and have all of your views written in Flex instead. Um, and Flex is is I guess an example of this. It's it's an example of a pretty heavy investment in doing in like tackling an area of the framework that I didn't enjoy. Uh, which was using action view and ERB. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to, um, I mean, I got laid off. <laughs> so I had like a few months where I could just work on open source for the last few months. And so that's been, that's been like, I think a really, a really great opportunity to tackle quite a large part of the framework um, and try to do a different spin on it. Um, and I think that sometimes you have the opportunity to do this at work. Like if there is a particular problem that a com the company that you work for is able to, to sponsor you to work on. Um, and sometimes you can do stuff in your, in your free time. I was just really lucky to, to have a good chunk of like four months to, to spend on this. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that we should all like try to just constantly reinvent the wheel all the time. Just that sometimes we can come up with better ideas. We can we can be inspired by, like Flex is very much inspired by React and View components and um, Web components. Like I think that a lot of these things, a lot of these ideas, weren't really there. Um, 
when Action View was built, however long ago, um, a lot of stuff in Action View is is kind of like Action View was designed to render a few partials on the page. It was probably how it was used at the time, mm -hmm. not thousands of partials on a page. And so the way that it's been designed is is quite different to how I want to build views today. If that makes sense. Right. And uh, besides just being a progression of things, I also yeah. think that there's there's value in having active view and flex available because mm -hmm. it's two different ways of thinking about the same issue. Like yeah. there are lots of people that love doing JavaScript. JavaScript makes me die a little every time I have to look at it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'd rather use flex that's object oriented because that's the way my brain works. And so having mm -hmm. those options there and being able to pick, pick your poison as it were uh, to work with your brain I think is a good way for the community to be elevating these things. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, in a lot of the times these things come out, I don't know that one's better than the other. It's one is mm -hmm. better than the other for certain ways of thinking about problems. Right. Or for certain projects. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I probably wouldn't try to build Google Maps in, like, with Hotwire and Flex, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but, that might um, be a little, a little tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of, a lot of apps that I would likely work on where I think it's a really good solution. Um, like Hotwire methodology, whether that's like Turbo Streams, Turbo Ready, Stimulus Reflex, um combined with a back-end component system that lets you break down your views and test them independently and like compose them together. I think that that's a really powerful combination. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings a question to my mind then. Is the Rails, does the Rails framework have clearly defined borders? I mean, I'm, is I it... mean, I don't think it really does. It's, I mean, there's obviously like there's there's stuff that's in Rails core and stuff that's not, but the, you know, the, the most popular Rails testing library, RSpec, is not in Rails core. And yet it's, it's I think, by far more, I might be wrong about this, but I, I'm pretty sure it's by far more popular than Minitest as like the Rails testing library. It is the one that the community has chosen to be the one that they want to use. I don't think there's even an option. I know that when you when you start a new Rails app, you can say like dash dash CSS equals Tailwind. I don't think you can even do dash dash tests equals RSpec yet. Um, Maybe you can. I I'm, I'm thought sure you could, that. but I I may be wrong. Oh, okay. I never start I'm projects like, that way, that. but yeah, I, I I don't typically either. I, I usually just start the project without any arguments, and then I'm like, oh, now I need to install this. <laughs> yeah, I I just l yeah. let me let me set it up. Because right. invariably, if, if I do the automated stuff, I end up taking more crap out than I would have to put in. So, yeah, I, I just yeah. usually start from fresh. But yeah, I, so so this whole concept of going off the rails is that I mean, is that really even a thing? If rails doesn't really have these defined borders, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I if I use flex, am I off the rails? 
just because it's not part of core rails yeah that's that's i don't really know the answer to that question right i guess in a sense you are and in a sense you're not like you're off the framework but flex i mean i would like to think that flex is very much in like built in line with the 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 rails doctrine and those kinds of principles um that inspired rails like everything i don't know to to me action view was like the least railsy bit of rails um and everything else i was writing like this object oriented ruby classes and being able to like compose things and inherit things and like that then you then you have the views and in the views there it's just completely different now you're back to writing these procedural scripts um with like tags that are really difficult to type and it's just it's just not how my brain works right um, it it feels it always feels really messy to me going back to your question about have you gone off the rails maybe <laughs> maybe it's a bit of a subjective question if you have a new developer coming in and yeah. you're using flex and not you know erb templates you're kind of like right what is this what are you doing <laughs> he may think you've gone off or she may think you've gone off the rails yeah, there are definitely um, drawbacks to that, right? So if every if when you hire a new developer, if they're used to using ERB, they know where everything is and they know how it works. And I think that is just a decision that you need to make for your for your project, like and your team, um, whether or not the benefits of doing something different, doing something outside the framework outweigh the costs of like this is going to be a new thing that people are going to have to learn that's different and i think that as like as a community we kind of have made those choices about our spec for example like it's pretty if you want to be able to hire people and have them just come in and work on your tests like our spec is actually probably a more like a better way to go than mini test, even though it's not the standard, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not the rails core way, but it is, yeah. it seems to have become the I'm unofficial rails community way. way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have no problems with mini tests. I don't use it personally. I use our spec cause I just like it better and it, it fits my brain patterns better, but right. um, you know, it's, it just has become kind of the de facto testing library um, in, because the community said they wanted it that way. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think that the main point I really wanted to put across was like, at least in your own time, don't be afraid to experiment. Like, don't be afraid to say this part of Rails is something that isn't great for me. Um, or I think it could be better. Or I think this, I could add this new feature and then do it. Like, Make a gem, play yep. around, get into metaprogramming, try to see if you can improve something, like write the code that you want to write and then make that execute and actually work. Um, all right, so Drew says, I think there's also a pretty big difference between pulling in an open source gem and rolling something internally that lives in live and only one person knows how it works. That is very true. I, <laughs> I run into that quite quite often at my job i go to a new repo and i'm like 
I don't know what the hell they're doing here with this. I don't even know where it is, but it, something's yeah. doing it. And it's not in the places I expected. Yeah, I, I, I do think as early as you can, like, get that gem extracted and documented and tested and out there where other people can use it and, like, review it and you can get that feedback. And if it picks up and lots of people are interested in it, then you have more of a case for using it and maybe even potentially upstreaming something to, to core. Whether it's like, even if the gem that you make from solving some problem doesn't itself go into core, ideas inspired by that gem, like problems that that gem might highlight, like those can end up going into core kind of through osmosis, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you you brought up an important word there. If you're going to go off off the rails and do some non-standard Rails stuff, please document it <laughs> so that if new developers yeah. come in, they can, oh, this isn't in the views folder. This is over here because we're doing it different, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I think that's important because when when new developers, when junior developers are starting to learn Ruby and Rails, they're going to stick within the Rails framework for the most part. Because mm -hmm. that's how it's being taught. That's what they're learning. And there's a lot to learn there. So mm -hmm. throwing them a curveball all of a sudden without any kind of documentation is just going to blow their heads up and probably frustrate them. So, right. you know, if you're going to go off the, the standards, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if you don't let people know you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's also another thing is there's like, um, we, we have, a, I think we have a tendency to favor the things we've been doing, even if they're not the best things, um, like we, total energy to change. <laughs> we, we don't have a very objective opinion, uh, about things in general as human beings, but like, if we've always been doing things a certain way, even if the other way is better, like it might not feel better to begin with. Um, I often think about this with, with regards to flex, like people have been writing HTML and ERB for a really long time. And I think that flex can feel really weird when you first start using it. Um, but for me, I think that, um, if you, if you think about it objectively, you're actually taking away one language. You're saying, instead of having to learn Ruby and HTML and ERB as well. So three, three languages, really, you kind of only have to learn Ruby and like, you know, how to call methods in Ruby, you know, how to create classes and define methods and extract methods and compose methods. Like all of this stuff is now just applicable to views. And so it's, I think if you were new to everything and you didn't know all this other stuff and you hadn't like been using it for 20 years that um that it might actually be more intuitive to not have to go out of the language and go into a different language if that makes sense yeah i might be wrong about that but that's that's my feeling and i think oh, after okay. after a while it does feel like i don't have to do all this context switching like i don't have to switch between um like iterating over uh an instance variable of articles 
and actually outputting those articles. It's like there's there's no switching really at all. Yeah, I think probably where this came from, like the ERB templates came from, is probably we have to thank PHP for that. Yeah, because PHP, you know, put Aaron. everything essentially in the <laughs> in the, in the yeah for yeah. the templates. So I think, and maybe it there was a little bit of logic in that. It's like, well, people are accustomed to it anyway, and right. so I think it's just from history. I mean, this is where I'm betting. Yeah, that is basically came from PHP at the time. Yeah, and th this the idea to do this in um, in Ruby with with method calls is quite an old idea as well. Like I think the earliest example I've seen is is from Y who built um, Markaby, and um, all of the syntax for Flex is essentially identical to Markaby. There's some very slight differences um, and like some ideas from Markaby that, that we don't have in Flex, but um, it's essentially it's essentially the same thing. So you're saying that this, like like on the page here, sorry, I'm gonna ask questions about the project, sure. maybe a little bit off topic, but you said it's four, a little bit more than four times faster than an action view partial. And you're saying you've done some recent improvements to make that up to nine? So no, it's so the, the improvements that I've been working on today make Flex nine times faster than Flex was before compilation. Oh, so um, you're talking so, 36 yeah, times faster. Yeah. So the, the benchmarks on um the benchmarks that are referenced on the website are particularly focusing on partial rendering. Um okay. because Flex, the dynamic version of the Flex like rendering attributes and tags is quite expensive, but rendering partials is very, very cheap. Um, okay. When with the compiler, rendering templates and tags is also very, very cheap. So I think we'll we'll have a lot more objective um, stats on that soon. But um, yeah, the the benchmark that I did today is uh, 9.12 times faster than, or as fast as Flex was basically this morning. Wow. Okay. So when you say, like I hear compiler, it's, yeah. but it's this, is this still running in real time if you're putting your Rails app? Meaning like yeah. I can pull data from the database, but it's just the compiler that's essentially compiling it and presenting, compiling the HTML essentially. What it does is it, it scans your Ruby files for um, the template method or actually any method that um, in a flex view. Um, and then it looks to see if it can find method calls to methods that are meant to create HTML, like H1 or div or article. And then it checks if you have redefined those methods to do something else. Like you may have overridden article or title and, and defined your own title method. Um, which is totally fine, and it's it's only affects the particular view that you're on, so it doesn't like break anything else in Flex. Um, and if you haven't overridden the method, then it is able to to kind of replace a method call for instead a direct string append. So it knows that you need you know an opening ta h1 tag, 
and then it can look at the content and it can say, well, you've used a string without interpolation in it. So this string is already safe. So we can HTML escape it ahead of time and immediately output that rather than having to have that happen every time someone loads that component, for example. Or if it has interpolation in it, then it's going to output it wrapped in HTML escapers. Um, oh. That kind of thing. So basic, basically, it's just taking your Ruby code and replacing it with slightly uglier, slightly faster Ruby code. Um, but it, hey, that will happen and faster. Is this, and, is, and is this a step that takes place prior to deployment? It takes place at boot. Okay. Or it okay. will take place okay. at boot, yeah. Um, in development, I don't know if you'd, you'll even need to have it turned on, but I would try still working out like how you test and deploy and whatever. But um, the thing is, because, because Flex already works without this, um, the idea is that it's going to be completely transparent. If you enable compilation, your components, um, your views should produce exactly the same thing as they like after they're compiled and as they did before they were compiled. If I can get the compiler to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty heavily invested in off the rails, as it were, um, as, as we had kind of defined it with Drew, right? <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I don't, I honestly see that as a good thing, and I, I, I think it's a good idea for developers to go off the rails and start exploring ideas outside of the standards. Because mm -hmm. while the standards are important to know, I think it's a good idea to know the Rails framework. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also a good idea to know when you should step outside it and start developing things that will eventually could likely become very valuable to the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where most gems come from, is people stepping outside the framework and saying, oh, this might be useful. Right, yeah. And especially if you can step outside the framework in a way that doesn't expose you to much risk, and then see how the community responds, like see if that idea has traction. And if a lot of people are talking about it and contributing and trying things out and coming up with new ideas and like pushing that project forward, then it might be something that you can like invest more time in. Like I wouldn't have, you know, just gone and like written a Shopify app in, um, in flex, like straight away from day one. Um, because it's it like it, at that point it was completely untested when I started working on it, um, and I was able to do it in my free time. And now at this point, it's got quite a bit of traction. It's got a lot of contributors. Um, it's kind of beginning to prove itself, and you know eventually we're going to get to 1.0, and you know it's it kind of kind of gradually grows if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I think. Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, I've, I've had a lot of other ideas that, that just haven't kind of picked up traction. I think that it's, it's good to just experiment um, yeah. in, a, in a safe way. I'm, I'm not saying you should, like, reinvent the wheel and 
you know, fill lib with all of these custom bespoke solutions. Right. Um, and leave it at that. Well, yeah. maybe on your funsies project, if you're trying to learn yeah, something yeah. new, but yeah, don't do that in your production environment. That's <laughs> right. Go experiment on a, on a little virtual machine in your funsies environment. But I, I think that is, it is kind of important from a learning track that, you know, you should, especially if you're a junior developer and you just start to learn this stuff, you should really focus on learning the Rails framework and how it works so mm -hmm. that you can understand what its limitations are and so that you don't step outside of Rails too prematurely. Maybe Rails actually has right. a way to do this and you just don't know about it yet. Yeah, maybe it's actually really good. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess if for like side projects and stuff, like it's not, you know, it's it's always, I think it's always valuable to experiment and try to do something. I, th I think what will always be valuable is saying, I wish I could write this code and like writing out the code that you that you wish you could write and then thinking about like how can i use metaprogramming and stuff to actually make this work and then if you get that far like how can i actually make it really stable and really fast and how can i work out all of these edge cases i think that whether the idea takes off or not doing that is always a really valuable experience and it can help you I guess, understand where some of these Rails features come from and how some of the Rails magic works behind the scenes. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I think too, like I, I highly recommend when people are first learning this stuff or learning about a new area of Rails or programming or something, don't just pull a gym in, roll your own so that you can yeah. understand how it works. Yeah. You know, make your own right. authentication system. There's, there's a thousand gyms yep. out there for authentication. But roll your own so you understand how it works. That's that's a mm -hmm. learning thing that I think is really good. Mm -hmm. And you should never roll your own authentication, everyone uh, says. But like, not, why not? Not in a live production system, maybe. Not in, live, but... not in a live production system. Not if you're not experienced enough to do that. Right. You know, and and cover all all the bases. But like in your personal app, why not? If you're if you're interested in authentication and you're interested in how you can do that in a particular way maybe you want to take on device and come up with like a pattern of authentication for rails um if you're inspired to do that go for it like put it out there and see what people think of it right and, and i mean flex is a great yeah. great current example of that they have a perfectly fine way of doing front-end work view work right. in rails but there are some people that just don't want to work that way. Me being one of yeah. them, and apparently you being another one. So you stepped think, outside and yeah. said, I want to do it this way. Yeah, I, th I think that it's, it's a lot of things that kind of led me to that point. One of them was like, I was building, I was building this thing and I, I realized that I was building all of these partials and I wanted to put them into a library that I could share between one app and another app. And so I started trying to build this library of partials and I found that it was just really difficult. Like I didn't have enough control in my, like 
to to build the kinds of partials I wanted. They were just these really ugly procedural scripts. Um, and, you know, that plus like seeing how many people are kind of moving away from, um, from like server-side rendered components to front-end components, which I'm not a big fan of, I think add a lot of complexity. Plus, um, you know, Rails now has Hotwire and we've got things like Stimulus Reflex. All of these things together just kind of made me like brought me to the point where I thought actually Rails needs a new take on views, like a completely new take on views. Um, and I literally was like, literally sat down <laughs> and wrote the code that I wish I could have written and then tried to make it work. Yeah, well, and that's, I think that's an important, important thing for the continuous learning as a developer. Developing yeah. as a developer is you don't want to just, when I ask why do we do things this way, my number one hated answer is because we've always done it that way. I can't right. stand that. That that yeah. really just irks me. It's It's like if you don't have a good reason for doing this, maybe you need to think about a different way of doing it. And now mm -hmm. is the time to step out. And, you know, I would encourage people especially junior programmers, people that are trying to learn this, go go find a gem somewhere that does something and make your own gem to do that thing. Yeah. You know, so you get experience writing gems because they're not really that difficult to put together. Mm -hmm. um, you get experience thinking through a new kind of problem. You get experience mm -hmm. um, coming up with, with ideas and more than likely you are going to present a unique thought to the community that may right. have some benefit. Right. And that thought might resonate with someone and they might contribute to your project and they might share that project. They might use that project. And, um, you know, when that happens, then you've, you've built something that's helping others. Right. And you learn a lot from it. Because I'm right, a big yeah. proponent on on mentoring and and trying to help developers come along, and I think that's an important thing is is don't be afraid to step out there into the community and say, "Hey, I've got an idea. Here's this thing I tried. What do you think?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and it's it. I think it's just it's just so worth doing. Like if you build something, I, I'm just trying to think of some examples. The first the first open source project I published, I think. Um, I think this was the first one. It was it's this gem called um action state and it's it literally just one thing. It allows you to define you know you know how you can define um active record scopes. I found that every time I was defining an active record scope in this one particular project, I was also defining a predicate that was essentially the same logic, right? So if I want to find all of the articles that are published uh, when given um, a, a relation of articles, when I'm given a single instance of an article, I want to be able to ask if it's published with the predicate. Um, and so I wrote a gem that would like allow me to do that in, in one line, which uses the active record DSL. You can say state published and you can say where um, published true. 
And then that actually generates a predicate for you. And that, like that was, it, it's really simple. You probably, it's probably not worth including in most Rails apps, but I thought it was fun. And so yeah. I made a gem and, um, you know, I put it out there and I actually got a pull request on it within like a few days um, <laughs> from Casper. Wow. And um, that was just so encouraging. And I think that really inspired me to to kind of go at it from like with more gems and like more ideas. And I think, um, yeah, I just I just think doing stuff like that is so good for your own personal development. And it, it's so encouraging. And I think you can just learn so much just from your own research, but also from other people. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think too, you brought up a good point. A good way to find ideas for gems, if you want to find one, is if you're doing a project and you find yourself writing the same line of code over and over again and doing the yeah. same stupid thing, and you're like, why the hell am I doing this 15 times? <clears throat> right. Write a gem to encapsulate it. Yeah. That's a good opportunity and just to do a, that. I think there's a lot less pressure when you when you make your own gem the, rather than opening a PR against Rails, mm -hmm. right? You open a PR against Rails, that's, I don't know, the imposter syndrome is like really strong there. Um, and I think that... DHH is going to call just, me an idiot. <laughs> I know, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm terrified to even like, I don't know, I just I, I get really scared of 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 like doing anything on Rails because I'm just like these people are just so good and I don't know. But or, or but just yeah, like, work your or work your way up to it. Start with yeah, it. exactly right. So <laughs> a lesser known gem, and then just keep going up popular ones. Right. I think when yeah when you do that, it's just a lot lower, a lot less pressure. Um, I made my own gem, and it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Oh, see you, Aaron. Have a good dinner. Thanks for stopping by, man. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. And honestly, I think, like you said at the beginning of this, I agree with all the stuff we were talking about with Drew, about you trying to stay in the Rails framework and the Rails right. state of mind as much as you can. But yeah. if people never stepped out of that, we wouldn't have gems at all. Right. You know? Yeah. So it is important to sometimes there, you need to learn to recognize when you should step out of the framework, mm -hmm. because there are lots of times when you should do that. And in fact, you know, even, even DHH does that. I mean, his companies have put out right. many, many gems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Including like Hotwire and Action Text and, uh, I think of more examples, but loads, loads of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Was I extractions mean, from Basecamp, and loads of stuff has, has been as extractions from GitHub and Shopify. Uh -huh. um, but I guess you you don't need to be one of these big companies to do that. No. Um, especially if you, yeah, if you find yourself with lots of time and you want to try to spend it developing yourself, learning and growing as a developer, like making something, building something is i think the best way that you can do that yeah and if you're stuck for ideas find a gem that looks interesting to you find out what it does and then reproduce it without sure. looking at their yeah. code reproduce the yeah. results but do it your own way you know and do we need another one of those gems a clone of that gem 
Maybe, maybe not, because you might come up with a really clever way of doing part of that that could be useful to the original gym. Right. So, yeah, I, I, you know, like you said at the beginning, I think, I think the conversation we had with Drew was valuable. Um, Definitely. And, and yeah. not off point, but you no, do. No, he's, he's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you should try to stick to the framework like as much as you can right i i think that's i think that's right but i yeah and i i but i think your your kind of counterpoint here or your i see it as more of an addendum than really mm -hmm. a counterpoint is that part of your growth as a developer i think and this isn't just with rails this is with any development environment any mm -hmm. framework you should get to the point where you're comfortable to say this framework doesn't have the things I want for this particular situation. I need to step outside of it. Right. Yep. And uh, I, I think that's an important part of developer growth and developer maturity. And it will really help you. The sooner you can get to a comfort level of doing that, I think the faster you'll start growing as a developer because you'll start looking for things that yes, I can do this in this framework technically, but I think there's a better way to do it. Let right. me experiment. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's just when you can go and like to that higher level of abstraction, which is still the Rails way, but it's it's like the more abstract Rails doctrine. Like I'm exalting beautiful code. I'm using conceptual compression. Um I'm creating a convention, but I'm not necessarily using ones that have been created for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, oh man, here it is nine o'clock again. Every time I do this, I enjoy talking to the person we're talking to and nine o'clock sneaks up on me. Well, it's not nine for you. It's stupid o'clock in the morning for you. But... <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. Oh, good Lord. Oh. Well, <laughs> That see, I I I don't have a chance of being conscious at two o'clock in the morning. So good <laughs> on you for <laughs> for being up. Um, but we really appreciate you being here with us. I know it's 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 late for you, uh, but it was a really good show. I I was really excited when you reached out to me with the idea for the show, um, and and really happy that that we were able to work it out and get you on here. Um, I hope we can we can get you on here again sometime actually because sure. uh it's it's a really good conversation <laughs> off the rails gaming what's up with your title only i can be off the rails you say <laughs> so man i mean <laughs> i mean sure we're all friends here though it's cool we're all off the rails sometimes um yeah i see that it's, it's in your name um <laughs> I mean, if you say so. Okay. So, but welcome to the show. Sorry, sorry, you just popped in at the end here. We're signing off, but um, but welcome. Hopefully, you can come again. Um, but yeah, we we appreciate you being here so much. I appreciate the, the idea for the show. Um, I do want to get you back um, because I have very much enjoyed talking to you, and I think there's a lot more things that we could talk about. Um, oh, thanks. I I 
am looking forward to communicating with you once I start the um, live coding show because I am looking forward to using Flex, but I'm going to have a mm -hmm. crap ton of questions. So, you know, just get ready for that. Just, um, oh, let me know if you want to pair on something on the live co coding show. I'm down for doing that. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will most likely take you up on that. Um, so we are going to sign off for tonight, but we will be back next Wednesday at 8 p.m., just like we are pretty much every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I, I know, I know for you guys across the pond, that's a, that's a bit of a stretch, but, um, you know, I, I, I usually just do the catch up on, um, overcast. Yeah. Which is which is the good thing. You can find us on the the, the recordings on YouTube, uh, the VODs on Twitch for I think fourteen days is how long they stay there. Uh, and Kristen graciously converts these all to audio only podcasts, so you can catch those everywhere that podcasts are living. Uh, you can also come by our website www.rubberduckdevshow.com and listen to everything there. Or actually watch it. I guess you're linking to the videos there. Um, also, if you want to know what's going on during the week and keep up with things, you can follow us on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show. Um, I I try my hand at Twitterizing every once in a while there. Um, I suck at it, but you know, I'll get better. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Next Wednesday, we've actually got a special show. We've got a big panel of people dressing up in costumes for Halloween to tell their development oh, wow. horror stories. That's going to be awesome. So, and we are extending tonight an invite to you for that as well, Joel. You can just ping me offline and let me know if that's something that you could do. Uh, we're just going to get on Zoom and, and chat away. Um, but awesome. that will be next Wednesday. We've got quite a few people lined up and I will put on Twitter what the full roster is going to be in the next few days. Uh, cause I'm still waiting on some, some responses from a few people, but it's going to be a good one. So you guys make sure and be here for that. We will see you then. And until then, happy programming, happy programming, Bye. happy programming. <laughs>